This is the Canadian Taxpayers Podcast. We're dedicated to lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. I'm Todd McKay. I've got Kevin Lacey here. He's our Alberta director. Kevin Lacey is, uh, he is stirring the pot in Ottawa, which is, that's actually our Alberta's uh, director's second job, is stirring the pot in Ottawa, I would say, on any given day. Uh, but he just put up some billboards right outside the prime minister's office, right on Spark Street in Ottawa. You can see uh, Parliament Hill and the Peace Tower right from these uh, sidewalk billboards. You know, the ones kind of like best shelters. Here's what, uh, what the billboards say. I'm going to quote. The RCMP union says the federal gun buyback, quote, does not address criminal activity, illegal firearms proliferation, gun crime, or the criminal use of firearms. It's right there in black and white. Can't get a sandwich if you're leaving the prime minister's office uh, without seeing this. So, Kevin, thanks for chatting. What are you doing? What are you, why are you putting up billboards in Ottawa with this stuff? Well, you know, those guys in Ottawa, they often don't know about what the world looks like outside of it. Um, so really the goal of the billboards is to try to bring a little bit of Canada back to Ottawa so they understand what's really going on uh, in this country. And the billboards are direct and they, they're right outside the prime minister's office. You can't kind of miss them if you're out getting a coffee or sandwich. Uh, because we want to take the message to Ottawa that this gun buyback buy buy program is a waste of money, that it's uh, not good policy, and it's not going to make anyone safer. And the best way to do that is to get in the front of all these decision makers to ensure that they know just how bad a policy this is. Yeah, this is really bubble bursting is what it is. It's easy for politicians to create an environment where people only tell them what they want to hear. They can have any report say what they needed to say. But they can't, uh, you know, they can't ignore this message. It's right in front of them. And it is uh, coming right from the RCMP union. Let's get into the policy just a little bit. Why won't this gun buyback actually makes people safer? Well, you made a great point because you can take it from us that this gun buyback is, is, not, a, is not good policy or that us, from us that it's not going to make anyone safer. But the very people who are supposed to be enforcing these laws are saying, this isn't going to work. So if they're saying it's not going to work, that should tell us something. And the reason why it isn't going to work is because if you're a criminal with your firearm, you're not going to show up to the police detachment uh, with your firearm in hand to hand it over to them voluntarily. It doesn't matter how much money you offer them to do it. Uh, you think that you can buy guns for more than the drug trade can pay these guys? There's no way. It's, uh, the whole thing is silly. Uh, the government knows that it's silly. And it's not really about uh, what they say it's about what it's really about is trying to get those people who are legally entitled to own those firearms who also uh, use their firearms responsibly by following all the rules it's designed to get them the guns out of their hands uh, and that's really what the government is trying to do well and i think so there's definitely that side of it i actually see the other side of it too there are people who are they're worried about guns uh they're worried about gun crime in their community the government's telling them, don't worry, this will make you safer, but they're selling them smoke. It's not going to make them safer. It's going to cost them a lot of money, but those illegal guns still come in and spending money taking them from licensed gun owners won't make anybody safer. Uh, we've got to put the, the money where it actually could help, which brings us to that price tag. What kind of price tag are we, we looking at on this policy? Well, remember the old gun registry, right? They I do. Said, oh, it's just going to cost a little bit of money. Next just a thing, couple million, million bucks. Dollars later, 
Yeah. You know, the money's gone. The gun registry doesn't exist. And everybody's all, all the money that was put in by the hardworking taxpayers is flushed down the toilet. And this has got the same trajectory happening. So the Liberals initially told everybody that it was going to cost $200 million. Then the parliamentary budget officer said, no, 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 not 200, not 400, not 600. They said $700 million. And now uh, that might, that's just the base amount. I mean, it can go much higher than that. And then already, before we've even got done anything, we've already spent $9 million uh, on administration of this thing for a buyback program that doesn't even exist. So if we're spending this kind of money now, imagine the boondoggle that is waiting for us when this thing really gets rolling. Yeah, one of the things that we did learn from the uh, gun registry boondoggle is to keep an eye on it early. And I got to give a shout out to our guy, James Wood, Jimbo, we often refer to him as our investigative reporter. I, man, they can't buy post-it notes over there on this program without Jimbo uh, keeping track of it. We're keeping track on all of this stuff right from the start because, listen, you can bet the over-under on this. I'm going to bet the over every day on how much this is going to cost. We're going to tra uh, track it all the way. All right, let's go back to the substance of the issue. The Prime Minister seems to be ignoring uh, the RCMP, particularly the uh, National Police Federation and other experts. They say it's not gonna work. Prime Minister says, I don't care, we're rolling forward. Aaron O'Toole flip-flopped on this one too, basically uh, just uh, did the old switcheroo on his own policy platform to say that uh, these guns would remain banned. Uh, what do you say to cynics who say, you know what, we can't stop this thing anyway, who cares? Let's just put our hand to the sand and uh, <laughs> you know, go to our happy place on this. Yeah, look, this is a marathon, not a sprint. This is going to take a long time. And really what it's about is trying to bring our position to Ottawa. They, they just don't know what the other side is saying. They only hear, the only people they hear right now are all of those who are calling for more and more restrictive measures. They're not hearing from the other side. So that's why things like these billboards are so ultimately important and why you know, hundreds of supporters across Canada donated to ensure that they stay up. Uh, and this is just the start of a long campaign to try to bring about more knowledge and, and greater understanding of what these policies actually do. Because uh, obviously we want to ensure that people are safe as well. And, and uh, uh, that uh, has to go both ways. Yeah. If they would have come up with policies to reduce uh, gun smuggling, to do that kind of stuff, I think we probably wouldn't have this conversation. But if we're going to spend money, uh, it's not enough to just spend it. You got to actually get something for it. So, okay, you're referring to it a little bit. Uh, what else are we? What else we got cooking on uh, on this fight generally? Well, what we're going to see is we're going to continue to work on it. If you have, if anyone listening is haven't already, make sure to sign our petition uh, at taxpayer.com. Go there and bring your friends and family. And make sure that they sign that petition. Um, we're going to, as you mentioned, we're going to be digging up every time these guys spend money, we're going to be following it, telling you about uh, some of them, where that money is going. And we're still working on a big court fight uh, in order to push back on this. Um, and uh, you'll continue to see more about that as time goes on. Yeah, definitely not a sprint. This is going to be a marathon thing, but it's one step at a time. And uh, it's kind of fun putting something right in the prime minister's face uh, right across from his office in Ottawa. So, all right, Kevin, thank you so much for working on this. Thank you. All right. Franco Terrazano 
is here. He's our federal director. Of course, he watches everything that's happening in Ottawa. If there's even a hint of a politician uh, maybe getting serious about the deficit, maybe they will. You don't know. It could happen, right? Like Santa Claus could be real. You don't know for sure. But here's what we heard from the throne speech. Check this out. Now with one of the most successful vaccination campaigns in the world, and employment back to pre-pandemic levels, the government is moving to more targeted support while prudently managing spending. All right, Franco. That was a clip from the throne speech. That's the big kickoff speech to, uh, to get Parliament started after a great big super necessary election. That was the clip about uh, bounce or the budget, balancing the budget at all. What else was in there about actual fiscal prudence? Well, Todd, let me just let me just start over here for a quick second. I mean, these throne speeches are supposed to be what the priorities for the government is going to be. And eh, sometimes it's what is not said that really is the most revealing. And Todd, we didn't hear a single mention of the deficit or the debt during the throne speech. Now, I know, I know all governments across Canada have many different priorities right now, but come on, this federal government is up to its eyeballs in debt. So debt reduction has to be at least a priority for the government. I mean, remember, we're more than a trillion dollars in debt, which means that each Canadian is on the hook for about $30,000 in federal government debt alone. And if these politicians don't actually save some money, I mean, we're going to be hammered with, with, a, with a higher tax bill. Okay. So it's not just where we are, it's where we're going that's important. A throne speech is mostly forward-looking, what the government plans to do, not what's happened in the past. So where are we going here? How bad is this? Yeah, I'm going to have to be the bearer of even more bad news. Let's look at that last budget that was announced last April by Finance Minister Christia Freeland. So essentially what this government is doing is using the cloud of COVID-19 to go on a debt-fueled spending binge with absolutely no idea how they're going to pay for it. By 2026, the federal government will increase its permanent spending by about $100 billion dollars. Now, based on that budget, the CTF dug up some parliamentary budget officer data that shows under that trajectory, we wouldn't see a balanced budget until 2070, five decades of deficits. And Todd, if that were to happen, we would be losing out on $3.8 trillion just on interest charges on the debt. Those interest charges are the thing that drives me nuts. Like we can arm wrestle about whether we should be spending more money or, you know, reducing taxes. I think those are really interesting debates. And frankly, uh, if it weren't for those debates, you and me wouldn't have a job. But yeah. can't we agree that more interest charges are a bad thing? I don't see anybody saying, boy, I love it when I pay my credit card bill and the interest charges are huge. That's a great time. <laughs> okay, so usually the government's in deep, no plan to balance the budget for a long time, trillion dollar debt. The, there's a lot of bad, bad things on the report card fiscally uh, for the federal government. You would think bad news for the federal government is good news for the opposition. Their job is to oppose. If the government's got problems, they got opportunities. Where is uh, Aaron O'Toole on this, leader of the opposition? <laughs> well, what's he up to? Yeah, you would think this would be a good opportunity for the conservatives to hold the government accountable on their massive overspending. But let me just read you a quote from uh, Freeland herself, quote, 
over the past 10 days, we have heard a lot from the Conservatives about government spending, which they now deem to have been excessive. But just a few weeks ago on the campaign trail, the Conservatives proposed government spending in this fiscal year that was higher than what we proposed. So, I mean, did you have on your bingo card the Liberal government calling out the Conservatives for being big spenders? Wow, hey, that's a pretty big charge. But let me just provide a little bit of context there. Uh, Freeland, of course, is talking about Aaron O'Toole's Conservative campaign, which wanted to spend about $50 billion more than the last Liberal government budget. You know, the one thing that might be worse than a politician uh, spending like a drunken sailor, two politicians oh. wanting to spend like drunken sailors and bidding it up. That's a recipe for trouble. I think we need both sides to maybe tap the brakes a little bit and just recognize maybe we're spending a little too much on everything. Mm-hmm. But where do we go from here? If you're way uh, to wave the magic wand and say, here's what we got to do to solve the problem. What do we do? Well, first, you have to diagnose the problem, right? And the problem is just years and years of massive overspending and really apathy towards growing deficits. Remember, when he was first running for prime minister in 2015, uh, Justin Trudeau, he said he would balance the budget in 2019. Well, of course, he missed that target by a country mile. And let's even just look at 2018. Before the pandemic, the federal government was spending all-time highs, which means in 2018, the federal government spent more than in any single year during World War II. Now, the first place where we need to see some savings, of course, is at the top. During this pandemic, while millions of Canadians struggled through COVID-19, we saw our politicians pocket not one, but two pay raises. Um, Now, once you hear that, it should come as no surprise that more than 300,000 federal government employees also received at least a pay raise. And Todd, even though these politicians couldn't balance the budget of a lemonade stand, they somehow think that they're suitable to be dishing out a bunch of our money through corporate welfare. So those are just a few examples of some savings. And we definitely need to see some savings uh, in here in Ottawa's budget. Well, and the reality is either we find savings to give taxpayers a bit of a break and bring the debt down, or we've got to cut spending in order to uh, pay interest charges. Those are the only two choices. There is no option C. I kind of like the idea of getting a handle on the spending. All right, Franco, thanks for keeping an eye on everything. Hey, thanks, man. Chris Sims is here. She's our BC director, and I want to check in with her. Uh, on all the floods and mudslides, you know, it's interesting. We often sort of discuss the policy aspects of what we're doing uh, beforehand. But honestly, Simmer, I haven't talked to you for a few days. And every time I do, I ask uh, that mountain above your house, is it still up there? How, how are you doing? Like, honestly, just on a human level, how are you doing? We're doing okay so far this week, uh, knock wood. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, it wasn't so great. Uh, We were getting just a ton of rain. And um, even for this area of BC, which gets a lot of rain, it was a disaster. I mean, there were mudslides, rock slides, all of the highways into and out of town were broken or they had rocks all over them. There were 2000 people trapped here. And you're right, we actually physically live up on the side of a mountain ridge and there's a big chunk of it above our house. So it, it is pretty unnerving. But as of right now, uh, we've had snow, but we haven't had a lot of rain in the last like two days. So that's a good thing. Uh, but yeah, we're nervous, but generally okay right now. All right. So 
it's funny. We're pulling back the curtain a little bit here. Usually we just talk about person or uh, policy stuff. We're talking about personal. I remember Scott Henning, our CEO, I think he was messaging you at like two in the morning to see how you were doing the first day. I don't know. Maybe I'm a bad person, but I wasn't as worried about you. I was like, Simmer's got like a bunker full of canned goods. I think you'd be all right. So just because it's interesting, how prepared were you personally for something uh, like this? We were pretty well prepared. Um, we not as much. Of course, I always want to be more prepared. We probably had about two months worth of food. Um, the one thing I did find that I should have had more of was bottled water, uh, because once the power goes out, the pump doesn't work. And if the pump doesn't work, you can't get water. And I didn't want to have to resort to, I have very specialized, uh, filtration, uh, units for water. If in the event we need to like run for the Hills and drink out of puddles, I own those, but I didn't want to have to use them if I didn't have to. Uh, so now that things have mostly gotten back to normal, I'm storing up a lot more bottled water than I had before. Uh, but generally speaking with the canned goods and medical supplies and dog food and stuff uh, for the dog, <laughs> uh, we had about two months worth of food. <laughs> dog food. That's what it's funny. I bought the, uh, the uh, uh, water purification tablets, like worst case scenario, I, I could rummage through the house and find those somewhere. Yeah. Smart on the dog food, though. That, that guy, he gets hungry fast. So People don't think of that. Um, yeah. There's a, a regular medication that you might take, um, dog food, any sort of pet food. Um, make sure you're stocked up on that stuff. It's easy to remember your kids, of course, with the ravioli, but you you know want to keep the dog fed. So It's true. Well, listen, I'm glad you're okay. And I'm kind of joking. Like, I do worry about you sometimes, but <laughs> there's other people on the team I worry about more in a situation like this. I'll put it that way. Yes, yeah, okay. Scott was actually messaging me at three in the morning. He He's was. like, um, we're getting alerts like out there in Alberta about this because yeah. it was torrential. Like yeah. I could hear it pounding on the roof. The power was out. It was out here for like three days. Um, so I said, no, we got the wood fire going. Uh, we're good to go. And I actually ran some like blankets and stuff down to the local high school mm. and shout out to my local high school principal, she got up at three in the morning, pitch black, opened up the local high school and got those almost 2000 people stranded in to that school, which had a diesel backup generator. So they had heat and they had running water and showers. So kudos there. A lot of folks really pulled together. Yeah, I have no desire to go back to high school generally, but I feel like in that pinch, uh, boy, that uh, that roof would be a pretty welcome sight in that situation. Yeah. Okay, let's go back to the stuff we deal with all the time. I'm really glad you're okay. Uh, and so far, so good. But all right, uh, this disaster. How oh, I, I feel a little crass asking, but this is our job. How much is this thing going to cost us? Billions. They don't know how many billions, but billions. Uh, right now, unfortunately, our current premier has got a health issue. And so we have an interim premier, Mike Farnworth, and longtime politician. Um, he's usually in charge of public safety. They asked him uh, straight up, how much is this going to cost? He visibly blanched, like the blood drained from his face. And all he said was a lot, a lot, billions. We don't know how much it's going to cost yet. Uh, to give you an idea, we have four major highway routes running through the southern part of British Columbia. All four of them are squeezed through the town of Hope, where I live, by these huge mountain passes and really deep river valleys. All four of them were smashed to smithereens. I mean, in some cases, the mountainside they were built on is gone. It's not like you get a little backhoe and you clean up the mud. We're used to that. Um, they're gone. Uh, railway beds are undermined. Uh, the Coquihalla Highway. 
for folks who've ever seen the the show Highway Through Hell, where they bring bring in heavy wreckers, they have about eight thousand truck trips through that a day through the Coquihalla. Um, it's it's gone in like fourteen places. So that's going to take months and months. And then you get into something like the Sumas Prairie or the Sumas Plain, which stays that way only because of an artificial pump house. It's usually a lake bed. Um, that pump house is in severe need of repair and replacement. Uh, we don't know how much that's going to cost either. I just drove through there yesterday to try to get some Christmas shopping done. And the, the water is still like that far away from hitting the highway. When you're driving across it, it looks like you're driving across a causeway across a lake. Like it doesn't look like you're driving through farmland. Uh, so yeah, billions of dollars. Man, this kind of feels like um, when you take your car in, there, there's something funny half sounding there. And then the mechanic's like, this is going to cost a lot. And you're like, oh boy. Yeah. When What's they tell you to take be? a seat. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's that kind of feeling. Okay. Yeah. On a much bigger scale, obviously. So that's in that circumstance, in that analogy, the first thing you're thinking is, how's my bank account look? Like if this is a new transmission, you know, are we going to be able to float this thing? So what's BC's bank account looking like? How, how prepared was the province financially for something like this? Well, I'll try to be fair. Uh, before COVID hit, they were balancing the operating budget. And so here in British Columbia, they take balance budgets pretty seriously. Meaning if you don't balance it, the ministers responsible for their departments running a deficit take a pay cut. Like it's written right into the law. Um, so they were balancing that side of things, but they were upping their capital spending. So for stuff like roads and bridges and tunnels and whatever else they can kind of sweep into the capital spending side of the books, that was going up. And our debt, I think at the time it was $74 billion and it's ticking up of course, day by day. So not awful but not great. Um, if I compared it to the federal government, um, our economic situation, the way we balance our books was like a reasonably well-maintained minivan compared to a Pinto that's already on fire. That's in Ottawa. So they were doing okay before COVID. Uh, right now they're gonna be looking for money. And that's the problem. So good that the, the folks closest to it in Victoria at the legislature there have some room to move on this. Yeah. But the point of having a national government to a large extent is so that we can help each other out in different regions when we're up against it. How confident do you feel like the in uh, for Ottawa helping out in the fiscal capacity there? What's your, what's your level of confidence there? Almost zero. I mean, they're going to do it, right? You and I were talking about this offline a couple of days ago. Um, it's like going to your uncle who's like a serious shopaholic. And he's like on his fifth credit card. That one's almost maxed out. And now all of a sudden you need grocery money. It's like going to that uncle for your grocery money. He's going to do it, um, but he's going to, you know, fill up the last of that fifth store card that he's got. So it's going to have a lot of interest on it. It's going to cause a lot of hardship. Um, this is not free money, as they say. And so, yeah, the feds will give them money, but it all comes from taxpayers and all of it's going to have interest on it. And so this is where it's really upsetting when you see really dumb, wasteful decisions being made in Ottawa 
and our bridges are gone, our highways are gone, you know, cattle farms and chicken barns are underwater. Um, people have died. People have lost their homes. That's when it really matters to be able to have that money ready and not to be glib for a rainy day. This was the rainiest of days. And they've, they've been spending money on like the Mission Cultural Fund that like flies chefs around the world. You know, it's just absolute fiscal irresponsibility in Ottawa. And that's where it really stings when you see what's happening to the province around you and you want the people to get the help they need and you try to look up to the higher level of government and they're just not competent. They're not good fiscal managers. We'll, we'll get it, um, but it's going to cost people. And we're going to pay for it for a long time. Okay. Yep. It's depressing to it look is. back on this. I got to say, like, even though I know this stuff, it's depressing. So let's use this as a learning experience. I think a lot of us have had this kind of learning experience if you use the car analogy again, where you're like, you knew you could make the payments on the car, but you didn't think it through what happens if, uh, you know, the gas gets blow and you need to do a big repair, but then you learn about it from next time. So if we've learned anything from the pandemic and now uh, these floods and uh, these things happen and this yeah. might not be the last disaster. So if we're going to take a learning experience out of this and do better for next time, what do we learn from this? Don't waste money on frivolous, meaningless things because you're going to have to have it handy in a real emergency. And this is a real emergency. Like to give you an idea with what I just said, billions and billions. So right now, the current Trans Mountain Pipeline, it's not broken or anything, but because of the floods and that happened, it's, it's compromised. So they've had to suspend usage of it. That has resulted in all of us needing to ration our gasoline to 30 liters per visit. That means you can't do a lot of traveling right now, even for work, even for commuting. We spent more than $10 billion on the Trans Mountain Pipeline buying the thing and then having to twin it ourselves as taxpayers, and we didn't have to. Trudeau didn't need to do that. We had a private company more than willing to pay for it themselves and employ people for years for a project that had had about five years of green lights from the federal government. That was completely unnecessary spending. Billions of dollars gone right there that would be really handy right now for British Columbia. So yeah, the main lesson is don't waste money on silly things because you're really going to need it someday. Yeah, it's funny. Every time I've ever talked to a politician, especially when they're borrowing money, they always say, well, we just got to do it right now because things are in tough. Buddy, it's not always in tough. We've just been through some of the best periods in, the, in Canada's history in terms of uh, economic performance. Now we're up against it. Should have been more careful then. We need to be more careful in the future. All right, Simmer. I think I'm going to let you go. You got to go pick up your kids that are playing outside in the snow. Hopefully still the snow, not the rain. And I think I need to go pick up some more dog food, probably. Just yes, to make sure I'm learning from this uh, situation as well. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, I'm Scott Hennig, president of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. If you've got another minute, I'd like to ask you to think about the one person you know that would really enjoy listening to this podcast. Do us a favor and do them a favor and send them a quick note to let them know about it. At the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we believe there is power in numbers. That's why we've worked so hard to build an army of taxpayers who are ready to push back. And we did it because people like you 
shared our work with that one person that they knew would really appreciate taking part. Thanks for listening, and thanks for doing your part to make Canada a better place.